Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today's special guest is a leading light of conservative and libertarian thought. He was a professor of government at the University of Maryland and also a professor at Bellevue University. He advised President Ronald Reagan and worked for that great president as the director of the Office of Personnel Management. His new book, The Enduring Tension, explores capitalism and the moral order. I'm very thankful for this opportunity to speak with this wise man, Donald Devine. Thank you for joining me on Core Principles, Dr. Devine. How are you today? I am great, and thanks for having me, Clay. Yes, sir. Your political perspective has been termed fusionist. Now, many will be unfamiliar with that term in that context. Would you summarize your general political philosophy for us? Yeah, fusionism is actually not the right word, but it's what was thrown on us. You know, so many words are thrown on you by uh, people who disagree with you. Uh, Marx, of course, is the guy who invented the term capitalism. <laughs> Christianity was uh, named by uh, uh, people who weren't Christians and didn't mean it in a good way. So fusionism, it, the idea is it's a fusion between libertarian freedom and, and traditionalist order. Uh, the right word is actually tension, which is the name in the book. The philosopher that came up with it, a guy named Frank Meyer, uh, that was his term, tension. But one of his opponents said it was fusion. And it's not fusing freedom and tradition together. It's a synthesis between the two of them, a tension between them. That really is the tension, I would argue, and argue in the book, that that's the tension that created all of Western civilization, both its freedom, capitalism side, and its traditionalist moral side. So what it is, it's a philosophy that is against an automatic rationalization that starts with one first principle and everything follows from it directly. This says that we're always making pragmatic decisions between things, and the best guide to have when you're making those decisions is is a love or an understanding of freedom as, as critical and tradition both as important and that, that you try to come up with the best combination of those two together sometimes it's broken down with the freedom part is the means and the ends are traditional goals uh, it really goes back to the beginning of western civilization uh, even back to jesus i mean where he says uh, Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. Uh, that is the tradition, the, the, the tension that we're living in is that you got to deal with um, Caesar because he's up there making all the laws and doing that. And you have to uh, have uh, this love and, and, uh, and a relationship with God. It is the tension of the human condition. Uh, and again, it's had a lot of different names through Western civilization. You had St. Augustine, which is talking about the city of God and the city of man. You have uh, St. Thomas that talks about a synthesis between tradition uh, and freedom. Uh, it's really the kind of tradition that goes through all of Western civilization. Yes, I'm really glad that I asked that question because I think precision of language is very important. And I think that a lot of folks in politics particularly use words that have a common meaning and they use them in a different way to try to 
manipulate people, and I think it's very destructive. So I'm, I appreciate the precision of the language, and as an engineer by background, I also appreciate the fact that tension has great value. It's what holds things up, like bridges, for example. So uh, yeah, no, I, that's very interesting uh, with the, your background. Um, I actually use the analogy of a bridge. Uh, if you try to uh, build a bridge strictly on physics principles, it's going to fall down. What engineers know, yeah, you got to start with that, but you got to build all sorts of different things to hold it up and take the tension, which is the bridge. Uh, you've read my book, so you know I have uh, a lot to say about science and how science is overdone. The science itself uh, is not, you know, the new one of uh, President uh, Biden's new person says, uh, he's the head of the uh, environmental protection. We're now doing science. Uh, you don't do science. Science is a way of thinking. You do things with engineering, right? <laughs> yes, sir. If if we would do science, the thing that we do is observe, and that that is science. But that's exactly. not what they that's not what they mean. That's very well put. Well, uh, having spent myself a career in federal government as an Air Force officer, I'm familiar a little bit with the overwhelming size and scope of the central government. You trimmed some of the bureaucratic excess during your tenure as director of OPM. And of course, the leftists and the press opined that that was just awful. How dare you? But why do you suppose that so many Americans, even as they decry the waste and the inefficiency of federal government, seem to be just fine with its never-ending expansion? Well, because, listen, they don't study, most people don't spend their time studying politics. I, I spent my whole life on it, um, my 80s, right? Uh, I don't understand it all, all right? I, I put it in the book. Uh, you can't expect the average person who's working, trying to uh, take care of a family, doing a job. Uh, and, and politician, what is a politician? A politician is someone that knows how to talk to you, that knows how to influence you, that knows how to, uh, as you said, say one thing and kind of mean another thing. Uh, so, I mean... That's the nature of politics. So I don't blame people. I mean, they can't hang up with these experts. The problem isn't that. The problem is our elites have been off course. I mean, they all go to the same schools. Uh, they all get the same uh, thing that all this is evil and capitalism. And of course, that's what my whole book is against, is answering that. And they're taught that way, and they think they're doing well. I mean, so it. I don't blame it on the people at all. Uh, it's our elite institutions that really have gone off track uh, and off track for a long time. Uh, Generations. We're celebrating the 100th anniversary of uh, the Federal Reserve System. Uh, all of the, the problems we're facing now started back under the progressive revolution of their late 19th, early 20th century. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was probably the most important intellectual American history since the founders. Uh, he changed how people looked at the Constitution. He said the problem with American government is the Constitution separates powers. What we need to do is bring it all together, bring power together at the national level and in the hands of the president rather than the legislature. And, and he went out, he founded the American Society for Public Administration, American Political Science Association, helped start the American Economic Association. He changed intellectual opinion in America dramatically. It wasn't changed. He made big changes, the Federal Reserve, uh, regulatory system, uh, subsidizing agriculture, which was the biggest business at the time. 
But it wasn't really the Franklin Roosevelt and then uh, Lyndon Johnson that this was really built up. And we are now, I think, at the end of an era. We're at the end of a civilization, a, a hundred years attempt to try to make progressivism work. And we're going to see it fail under Joe Biden. I mean, that's a given to me. Uh, he can't do what he wants to do. He can give the orders up there. And as Brookings Institution recent studies show, they say there's 70 levels between the, the president and people on the ground. Uh, I think it's more like 50, but it's a lot. And, and you can't communicate very well down that chain of command. Now, you were in the military. They do a better job of that. They have a whole land that backs it up. Uh, the civilian doesn't have that. I mean, you got 60, 50 levels uh, of communication and you can't deal with them. The performance appraisal system is the only communication device we have, and nobody thinks it works. I mean, the fact is it doesn't work. Jimmy Carter, now he's a Democratic president. Jimmy Carter put a Civil Service Reform Act in 1978. He fixed the system because it was the same then as it is now. Uh, it took a long time to get back there. Uh, he fixed the system up. Unfortunately for him, he lost the election that I come in with Ronald Reagan. He has handed me a whole new civil service. That's why I could get rid of people and why nobody can do it today, because he gave us the tools and we used them. We had to pay for performance. Imagine that you pay based on somebody who's performed bonuses to give people. We had all these devices that he gave us a, a performance appraisal system that actually measured stuff and penalties for supervisors if they didn't use it correctly and give some kind of range of scores. We didn't want everybody to fail. We wanted some people to fail. Uh, and it worked. I had a great time there having a system that worked. Unfortunately, it's been going downhill ever since. And I just went in uh, President uh, Trump uh, appointed me for a couple of months at the end that they finally got somebody head of the personnel in the White House who understood what it was about. I went in and looked at our, it's so much worse now than it was be before this all started. Uh, that's why I know it can't work. I ran the thing for four years. I've been back again. It can't work. You cannot have an institution that you put all of your energy and wealth into that you can't communicate with him. I mean, it's that simple. Yes, simple is good, and simpler is better in my book. And something that's really simple about the uh, Constitution as ratified is the, the punctuation, the Tenth Amendment, that I really appreciate. It draws a firm line across which the federal government is not supposed to cross. But the federal government has plowed past that constitutional restriction with abandon, and it seems like there's no turning back based on your statement just now, I, I'm guessing uh, your answer to this is no, but I was going to ask if we have hope of restoring that founding principle of this nation that the several states and the citizens should have the most say in how things work. I think it's going to have to come back because this is falling apart. In fact, we're already going back to it in, in, in small ways. Uh, the, the last 15, 20 years, the percentage of the budget that we actually use to manage government, and most of it goes to checks. You know, 70% of what federal employees do is write checks, right? Social Security, Medicare. Right? But what government is doing is getting cut down every year. As it keeps growing, we have the same number of political appointees. We have all kinds of contractors uh, uh, now doing stuff. It just uh, isn't working. You know, my boss, Ronald Reagan, 
He said the secret of American success is constitutional federalism. All right. That's what you're saying. I don't think there's any alternative. When Joe Biden's uh, sending of trillions, not billions anymore, of trillions uh, doesn't work, we're going to have to send it back. Look what happened in the coronavirus. Biden says he was going to run it from the top. He couldn't have. The only thing that made any sense was that uh, President Trump made the states do it. And different ones did th different things. And, and dramatically, some like uh, South Dakota almost put no restrictions. And New York put in enormous restrictions. Interestingly, the former made out better than the latter. Now, of course, New York's a lot harder and easier to spread. Uh, but, but there was but, a philosophy behind what Governor Nome did, and it made good sense. She said... You know, Sioux Falls is not the same as Pignuckle or whatever little town. So various localities, you need to do different things. Manhattan is completely different than maybe a, an area near Albany, for example. So one size didn't fit all. Yeah, actually, New York, I was brought up in New York City in Brooklyn, actually. Uh, and I took my Ph.D. in Syracuse. I mean, they were as different as any place could be. In fact, it was a little town outside of Syracuse. Uh, and recognizing that is so important and, and what our founders gave us, this great thing, and it worked up until about 100 years ago wonderfully, and it still worked for a long time after that, but it slowly ate away. Now everything is done by the, the federal government. Uh, but I think a lot of more conservative people like me are upset at Biden. And they're, listen, I think this is a great experiment. It's going to fail and we're going to have to turn back to the, the more local government. Um, and it's not just sending it to states. Uh, most of the states or many of the states are almost as bad as the federal government that have gotten so big and bureaucratic. Uh, New York's a good example. Uh, California, Illinois, uh, they're all failing. People are leaving those states. Uh, and yet when the people leave, they bring those same old ideas they had uh, there with them. Uh, and then, and that's kind of the ratchet that uh, is very difficult for us to uh, deal. But as I say, I don't think there's going to be any uh, question at the end of the Biden administration uh, that we can't do it this way. Uh, we're going to have people on the left, I think, saying that, too. Uh, in fact, there are some few voices now uh, from the left on that. And, you know, it's so compatible with freedom, too. I mean, it shouldn't be one order for everybody. The reason America worked so well so long um, is that we weren't forcing people. Now, of course, remember, we had a civil war, too. We were trying to force people both down south and up north. We're going to have, in my humble opinion, a civil war if we keep trying to force everything from the top in one way. People aren't that way. And you mentioned earlier... Why aren't the uh, average people more concerned about this? Well, they are more concerned about it. They're afraid to speak up right now. You say the wrong thing, you can get fired. Uh, canceled. Uh, uh, <laughs> canceled culture, right. Uh, so I'm optimistic in a pessimistic kind of way. I think we're going to go through uh, some very hard shocks as this all this money that, that Biden's throwing after. And the Federal Reserve is so buried in uh, in debt. It, it can't uh, solve the problem anymore. In fact, I quote in the book, one of its former top executives saying, we just can't do that anymore. We have so much debt piled up there. We don't have the flexibility anymore. Uh, and you know, we're in the longest recession in American history. It's not been a 
real great one for most of it, but it's the longest. In your new book, The Enduring Tension, this book is really very densely packed with a lot of thought-provoking concepts and principles. It's got math, it's got science, philosophy, history, and of course, economics. I think a graduate school could easily make a 40-lesson syllabus out of this book. We can only scratch the surface here, but I, I hope listeners will buy it and they will study it. To narrow the focus, I want to ask you primarily about the, the sixth of the eight chapters in your book. You call that chapter moralizing capitalism. So I'm going to quote one sentence you wrote and ask you to use that as a springboard, Dr. Devine, to explain what you were teaching about markets and morality. You said, quote, contrary to Pope Francis's charge that capitalism lacks a moral foundation, Adam Smith argued in favor of free markets, not primarily on the grounds of pragmatic utility or scientific efficiency, but on the basis of moral goodness and justice, unquote. Would you unpack that for us? There's, there's a whole lesson in that statement. Thank Adam Smith. Adam Smith is the founder of modern economics. And his book, The Wealth of Nations, is his famous book. But most people forget that he wrote another book called The Theory of Moral Sentiments. Uh, and at the time, it was probably more popular than The Wealth of Nations was at the beginning. Uh, freedom is a moral issue. Now think of this. Well, those are your audience that are Christians or Jews. What did this creator do? This creator gave us so much freedom, we could disobey him. Now think of this, that an almighty God gives you the ability to disobey him. That is someone that puts incredible amount of trust and freedom or or, or realize it's great moral value. Freedom itself is a moral value. In fact, for human beings, maybe the most important one. Uh, you're given that freedom, and then it's up to you to do something about it. Uh, it's an incredibly powerful uh, set that we're in uh, for people who believe in a creator like that. And something has to balance that, that great, great, freedom we're given. Uh, and and that's also comes from the creator, uh, this idea that you should obey the rules that he put out there. Uh, uh, and if you obey them, you'll use your freedom well. And if you don't, you won't use your freedom well. Uh, that's Western civilization in a small package. Uh, you're given this freedom uh, and you're given the choice whether you use it or not. Now, of course, we always have Caesar in the background, and Caesar can either be helping or not helping. Unfortunately, the clever ones move to the top, and they're not necessarily the most moral. Uh, in fact, I'd say that's the, the biggest problem with uh, America today is that we trust these people too much. Now, that's changing, and unfortunately, it's changing in a, in a kind of nasty way, uh, but at least you're starting to see that we can't give these people unlimited power, which we have done basically now. Uh, we still have Congress and courts and things, uh, but dominant thrust is to say, this guy's this guy with the head of the environmental agency said, this is science and you better follow it. I mean, that's uh, what he didn't say the later part of it. Uh, and if you don't, we're gonna send you to jail. Uh, and it's not just doing things like polluting. Uh, now now it's talking. I mean, if you don't talk the right way, uh, you're going to lose your job or maybe go to jail. Uh, we've gone a long distance the wrong way. And uh, 
See, the reason I wrote the book, and you're right, I mean, it's a deep book. It takes time. I had several of my friends say, well, I'm, I'm reading it, but it's taken me a while to get it. The fact is, unfortunately, conservatives, especially conservative intellectuals, have gotten lazy. We send out little slogans, right? You know, be free or less taxes or less regulation. We have to go back and rethink this, this whole thing. And that's the whole part of that book, why it does deal with science and philosophy and history. Because to understand where we are, we have to understand where we came from. Uh, that's the two uh, divisions of the book. How did we get here? Where can we go? I think in a way, you know, we don't have any political power. Anything we're doing now is just talking and maybe preparing for the next election at best. Uh, we can't do that much. This is the time to think. This is the time for conservatives to get, get a deep book. Oh, you don't want mine? Get another one. Get something deep. Start thinking seriously. What are the real issues? Uh, and fundamentally, the real issues are freedom and tradition. And when I went to graduate school, the most popular book thesis was there's no such thing as ideology anymore. It's called the end of ideology. And, and what do they mean by it? I mean that everybody now is a progressive and therefore there's no nothing to fight about. Uh, all right? And that was truly the case intellectually. Uh, there was no conservatism. Uh, a guy named Frederick Hayek uh, was in Austria, was chased out by the Nazis. Is uh, in Britain. He writes a, a book. In a totally progressive world, there was almost socialism uh, coming in Britain. Uh, uh, he writes a little book, mostly academic. It's picked up by the biggest circulation magazine in the United States. It was called Reader's Digest at the time. Uh, and it became popular. It came back to millions of people. An academic, almost without a job, writes a book. It comes over in America and it goes all over. American intellectuals read this, or a lot of them. I think Bill Buckley and Frank Meyer and uh, Ronald Reagan all read this, and they all say that. They read this book and said it was called The Road to Serfdom, and how we're going from a free society into a serfdom society. Uh, it created the conservative movement in America. There was no conservative movement in, in any real intellectual sense before he wrote this book. Now, it flowered into many different things. The whole idea of fusionism is from Buckley and Meyer uh, and Reagan. You read the book, you know, there's quotes from Reagan in there. You know, it's funny. People said, Ronald Reagan, he didn't do this. One of the speechwriters did it. Well, listen, I knew all those speech writers. I went to them and I asked them, well, why did you use this word synthesis in there? It's kind of a strange word to put in there. All of them looking at me, what do you mean? Synthesis. They didn't even know what it meant, much less put it in the speech. I mean, Ronald Reagan was a serious reader. And a thinker. Uh, I, I loved uh, President Reagan. In fact, one of the people who inspired him was the man who gave me my diploma at the Academy, is Barry Goldwater. There's so much substance in your book, The Enduring Tension. We're going to pick this up in our next episode, Dr. Devine. And thank you for being with us today on Core Principles. Look forward to resuming this conversation on our next episode. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.